Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Good morning. Welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall, my co-host, Bruce Weiner. And special guest today, David Stern. So um, for the risk of not having you talk over each other, first, Bruce, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Rachel. This is, this is you know, we try to bring a lot of value to our listeners. And I think the, the most valuable things we do all the time is to bring guests on. And there's probably nobody that we have brought in, brought on that, that will be, re- that will resonate with our listeners more than than David. Um, you know, of course, we've had we had Nelson on too, but now David has a unique perspective of how the Nelson Nash Institute will be going forward with uh since Nelson graduated from this earth. So I'm really excited uh for our listeners to listen to uh David both of the past of how the Nelson Nash Institute was established and then his views uh, going forward. Absolutely. And before I fully introduce you, David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rachel. I appreciate it. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, I invited my, my friend back here to visit also. He, he's my, he's my, my chauffeur, quote unquote. <laughs> so, so if I get something wrong, he lets me know about it. But it's great to see you again, Rachel. And of course, Bruce, you and I go way back and it's great to see you. You're one of the best practitioners we've got going. So I, I want to do anything I can to, to support your effort to spread the word correctly. Mm, Awesome. Awesome. So we've already got some people hopping on live here. We've got Malik Day saying this will be an amazing interview. David is the man. So he knows about you and somebody with a name of dub squared, probably not their actual name says, Hey, y'all. All right. So if you are interested in infinite banking, if you're wanting to set up to know how to set up and use your infinite banking policies for the maximum advantage, today is a conversation you really want to tune into. So maybe you have decided infinite banking is something I'm going to do. You're already working with the right advisor. You have an excellently designed policy. Now you're sitting and thinking one day, how do I really become the best banker that I can and use my policy or policies to their fullest potential? So today, with David Stearns, we're going to be unpacking the five rules of IBC. And what we're really excited about is that Nelson Nash started the infinite banking concept. We've been going through his book, Becoming Your Own Banker, in a series right now. But David Stearns has a front row seat to that experience, not only because he has married into the family, so he is um, Nelson Nash's son-in-law. He is also now the president of Infinite Banking Concepts, LLC. And so he's carrying on Nelson Nash's legacy really in two ways, personally and professionally. And so if you want to learn from the best, this is as close to the source as you can absolutely get. So come with your questions, pop them into the chat as we're going through this conversation today. And um, I'm going to say a little bit more about David, just as we're getting started, in case you're not familiar with him. So David Stearns is Nelson Nash's son-in-law. Nelson recruited David to help with the administrative side of Infinite Banking Concepts, LLC, in June of 2004. And Nelson asked David to take over the company to continue the IBC legacy in 2009. David retired from the U.S. Army as a lieutenant colonel. He had served 27 years in the Army, first as a field artillery officer, then as an Army aviator. 
So you also had that flight experience. Um, as with all military officers, he had a variety of assignments, including command, operations, safety, and systems analysis slash operations research. David served throughout the continental U.S. and worldwide with a long tour in Egypt and multiple deployments to Germany, Korea, and Kuwait. Now, David is the president of Infinite Banking Concepts, LLC, which controls the distribution of Becoming Your Own Banker, the book that we've been unpacking, and Infinite Banking Concept Materials, Copyrights, and Trademarks. IBC LLC manages the administrative activities of the Nelson Nash Institute, and he has been a director of the Nelson Nash Institute since the formation of that institute in 2013. So he's really at the head of the practitioners program as well, which we'll be talking about today. So David graduated from Buffalo State College in 1975 and received a master's of public administration from Auburn University, Montgomery. In 1992, he's been married to Kimberly Nash Stearns since 1979. They live in Birmingham, Alabama. They have four children and eight grandchildren. So I wanted to make sure that all that information was out there because it's so cool to see just a little bit of that history of how you are connected in with the story, but we'd rather hear more about it from you. So David, as we get started today, can you just kind of walk through what was it like getting started in this whole world of infinite banking? Well, if I say if I tell you uh, what it was like in one word, I'd say painful. Mm. <laughs> painful because, you know, when I, I met Nelson uh, two days before I married his daughter. <laughs> and so he, he didn't have much of an opportunity to uh, find out if it was a good, good match or not. But the first thing that he did when we met was say, you know, we have to have a conversation. And I thought it was going to be like, you know, you got to treat my daughter well, whatever, you know, the standard conversation between father-in-law and son. But it was, the conversation was, sign this application for your insurance policy. And so, I mean, he was very direct about that. He's always been direct about selling life insurance. Uh, because he, he's, he was totally convinced it was the, the best product on the planet, you know, the permanent whole life product. And so anytime that we had an, a new kid. I got promoted, got you know, increased my salary, whatever it was. Typically, he would show up with an application, mm. knowing that we could buy more. And so he kept pushing that envelope. And you talked about you know talking about you know the five principles of IBC. And so pushing that envelope about buying more policies is you know don't be afraid to capitalize. That, that's that's one of the, the critical precepts, but it's painful. You know, you got your if you're on a budget on a salary, you know, you increase, you know, you got another twelve hundred, fifteen hundred, three thousand dollar annual premium. It's initially it's, it's painful to, to to do that, but like like working out, you know, if you're not if you're not stretching your muscles and, dis, and destroying them to build them back up, then you're not really working out. It's the same thing with IBC. You have to, you know, it's it's something that you, you 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 really need somebody to hold you accountable, okay, for for IBC because it's you, you need a, a coach, you need somebody to make sure not only you're doing it right, but to keep pushing you to 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 grow, grow your 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 policy portfolio, and to use them correctly. So yeah, initially it was painful, okay, for me, but now you know now that we're over the hump, quote unquote. And, you know, I just, I mean, I don't have any debt, so 
I look for ways to, to, to put money in policies right now. You know, every time I get a, a you know, all of, all our policies are annual premiums. We don't do monthly stuff. It's just annual business. It's actually more efficient. And the first, the, when I pay my premiums, the, I wait 24 hours and go back into the portals for these insurance companies and find out how much additional unscheduled POA I can jam in that policy. You know, some people think that, you know, buy another policy, don't put additional premium in an existing policy. Well, okay, I'm not an insurance guy, so I don't know the, the nuances about that. But if I have a policy in force that's 20 or 30 years old, and I can put another $20,000 unscheduled POA in that policy, and it's sitting in a bank account somewhere, why wouldn't I do that? Okay, so that's, again, let's go back to the five principles. Don't be afraid to capitalize your system. Okay. Initially, it's going to be painful, but like anything else, once you generate that momentum, once you get on that growth spurt in these policies, which, which is something magnificent about it, the uninterrupted compounding entity like a whole life policy, then it becomes easier and easier to do that. David, is it, isn't it? I find it fun when I make premium payments and people think it's weird that I find it fun, but I have a bunch of season policies too, just like you do. I love it to make the premium payment and then check out how much my policy has actually grown by much greater than my premium payment. Now, it doesn't happen right away because you 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 can't be afraid to capitalize. You know, at the mm-hmm. early part, there's going to be some lack of liquidity. But we we on the money advantage use the analogy that banking is a business. And with any business, there's going to be a capitalization period to get your business rolling. Right. And and so if you think of banking as a business, which it is, thinking that your individual bank is a business, which it is, then you have to understand that you're going to have to capitalize, but not all that capitalization is going to be liquid at the very beginning. Just like with any type of business, it's going to take a few years for you to show a profit. And so if a person takes that seriously that they're building their own banking business, then they can get excited uh, about the future and delaying gratification. So don't be afraid to capitalize is, is, is probably the, I think the greatest point um, out there. And unfortunately, a lot of people in the industry now think capitalization is, is not that important. Well, I don't know if, uh, you know, I don't know if you want to get into it or not, but there's a lot of creative, quote unquote, policy design experts out there and, and social media. Yeah, land. let's go there. Okay. Uh, and, you know, whether you're on YouTube or TikTok, okay, uh, you, can, you can pick up a lot of good information, but you can pick up a lot of incredible information that, that has not been discussed or has been left off the the podcast or whatever for some, some reason. Okay. So it's, you know, IBC is a, is a process. It's a concept. Okay. That's And it's a banking concept, privatized banking concept. And uh, you got to get that part right. And that part's easy. Okay. But unfortunately the platform is the insurance policy. Okay. And it's, I'm not talking about an index universal life policy because we'll go to that later on if you want to. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the permanent whole life policy that's correctly designed for the policy owner. There's not one way to do it. Okay. But the policy owner 
is say, well, what's the correct design for me as a policy owner? Unfortunately, with YouTube and TikTok and Twitter and all these other social things out there, everybody thinks that the best policy design for them is one that provides them the greatest cash surrender value upon delivery of the policy. Day one. Okay, that's yeah. that's false. Mm-hmm. Okay, if I'm 85 years old and I have no uh, beneficiaries and I want to get as much money in these policies as I can in five years or 10 years for some reason, okay, then that probably isn't going to work for me, a policy design like that. But, you know, if you, if you, if you think long range, and that's my number one precept, okay, and don't be afraid to capitalize as the number two one for me personally. If you understand what thinking long range is, what it means in the IBC world and the capitalization thing we just talked about, then a policy that delivers the maximum cash render value in day one is probably not going to work. Okay. Because if I have a policy, like I said earlier, it's 20 years old and I, I pay my annual premium on it. And then once that premium is, is deposited and the, the policy has been uh, renewed for another year, then it gives me the opportunity to put additional capital in that policy through the unscheduled PUA. A policy that that's designed with a huge cash surrender value initially, you can't do that. Okay. Number one, because there's no room in the policy, you know, it'll mech. Number two is, uh, the real growth potential on whole life policies just comes from the base premium. Mm-hmm. Okay. Long range growth, uninterrupted compounding comes from the base. And these PUAs are one year single premium policies that are kind of built on top of these things. And they're important incre- they're and they're great. And Nelson, you know, Nelson was surprised how, how wonderful these things worked. And he says some things about them that I'll talk about later on, but if you understand what you need as a, as a, as an IBC client, what do you need? Do you want to build a policy where you can buy cars every four years? Like Nelson discussed in the book, do you want to buy a policy that you can retire on? Okay. Or multiple policies. You have to understand what that's going to look like, you know, for 20 years down the road or 30 or 40, but you've got to build something that's stable. Number one. Okay. That allows you to, capitalize the thing more than the face value contract amount number two. And number three, if you want to use it for banking, then you have to be able to fund it, overfund it through your, 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 your payment schedule. Okay. So that's, that, that way you can not only, that's where you recapture, you know, some of the interest. Okay. If you can't, if you can't overfund that repayment schedule, i.e. in the book, he talks about, you buy a car, you know, the GMC says you pay $260 a month. Well, pay yourself $275. Okay. So that $15 a month, where does that go? You know, okay. It it goes into growing the policy in, in the form of additional premium. Okay. An overfunded lopsided policy, a 90-10, for example, you can't do that because it, it's razor thin, okay, between the the cash value and the death benefit. And you have to be very careful. And number, t- and also, if you look at one of these policies that looks really, really good that everybody wants, if you read the fine print, even though it's not a mech when it's delivered, a modified endowment contract, there are points within the, that contract that says you'll have to decrease your your premium payment in order to keep it from mecking. Well, you can't decrease the base premium because that's a contractual obligation. Okay, mm-hmm. so the only premium you decrease is the pay of additional rider premium. So you got a tiny little base, 
i.e., you're you're not paying the insurance agent anything, but you you get the max cash value in, in year one or day one even. But as you keep reducing that PUA in order to keep the policy from mecking, you end up with something with a small base premium, which is your your engine that grows this thing, you know, for years and years and years. And your your PUA is shrinking, gradually shrinking without the capability of overfunding the policy. And now does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it makes and okay, then those are also up. where you said there's the annual re- annually renewable term inside of there where you have the increasing cost oh. usually to be able to support that. Oh, oh yeah. I haven't even talked about that yet. Yeah. 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 Boy. I mean, that's fine. And the annual renewing term is handled differently by different insurance companies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Some of them will, will shave your dividend to pay that increasing term uh, mm. premium. And you don't so it wouldn't know matter it. how much of a high illustrated dividend you show with that company, if yours if, personally if, is getting reduced. If, yeah, if it's being reduced by paying the term, you know, I'm not saying a company does that or whatever, but I've seen that. Okay. So it's again. And so that what's that doing? That that's, that is stealing the peas. Okay. <laughs> Number three on the, on the principal list. Okay. You, you, so as I said, at the start of this conversation, there is no one right policy. Okay. It depends upon what, the policy owner needs and wants, how they're going to use it, and what's, what are their expectations for that policy. And so, but if you follow the precepts, you know, think long range, okay, don't be afraid to capitalize. And then I just introduced steal, don't steal the peas. Then you want a policy that you don't have to worry about every year about mecking and you have to do some magic to it to keep it, to keep it on straight. You want a policy that you can, if you have a windfall, you can get more money in there. Okay. Or if you can't, then you start a second policy. Okay. And you want a policy that your, your, your dividends are buying paid up additional insurance. That's just, that's a no brainer. Okay. You don't want anything to impact that, that, uh, that dividend, you know, buying paid up additional insurance. You want that to be stable too. So, you know, that's how I, that's how, that's how I look at it. Okay. And, uh, you know, the fourth precept is don't do business with banks. Well, that's just, it's a no brainer, but I have seen stuff out there that's kind of crazy. And it's another misnomer that we can talk about where people are actually using these policies as, as collateral for bank loans. Mm, yeah. Okay. Well, there's one guy out there on TikTok is teaching people to, to use a credit card to pay premiums. Okay. How stupid is that? If you, if you, I don't know if you remember, but I, I, I actually sent you and Robert that yeah. particular yeah. Uh, TikTok Instagram message, which was, absolutely asinine where he was actually advocating borrowing against your credit card to actually pay the premium and then use this this told me right now this guy didn't know what was going on because he said then you can just take the cash value and pay the credit card off right away well even in a 90 10 situation there's not going to be enough cash to pay the credit card off completely so the guy obviously didn't know what what was he was actually doing so no, David. That, that is that is that is as hurtful. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's gonna send a lot of people over the top, and it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna it's he, the guy never mentioned IBC. He talked about his his in, infinite bankers, infinity bank, or some something like that. Right. But but still, people, you know, I guess the lesson there is if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. Okay, yes. so do your due diligence. Start with becoming your own banker. 
take, you know, take four hours to walk through that book. Uh, you know, wow, it's 92 pages in length. And, and, and talk to somebody who's, who knows what they're talking about with IBC. And if you have questions, if you, uh, if something doesn't make sense, then go to the website, find a practitioner and, and ask them, I don't understand what's going on with page, you know, 26. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to, you know, pay people to do that, but get, but get, get an opinion from somebody who's trained to understand what this is really all about. Somebody like, Bruce. <laughs> so I don't, you know. Yeah, I think, I it's, think it's it's fascinating that you're bringing up this because I think as infinite banking gains popularity, there are a lot more people talking about it and then using similar words that sound like infinite banking. And then there can be a tremendous amount of confusion because unfortunately, when you get in a uh when you get on the social media platforms, usually the goal is get as many views as possible, get as high of a following as possible, get the highest ranking keywords as possible, ask the questions that everyone else is asking, and then try to do it better than everyone else. And so the things that are getting the attention often are almost misleading from the principles, the main fundamental core truths of how infinite banking actually works. And uh, we we've had to deal with a lot of that. But then at the same time, Bruce, you and I have had several conversations where it seems like people are also very hungry for the truth. I mean, it's kind of like, even in Christianity, there's, there's so many things that might feel like, well, you know, this sounds really amazing. And and I can, you know, not have to go through any of the painful part of, you know, repenting or thinking about sin, or I don't have to, I don't have to really um, be a good person. I just have to do this one tiny little thing and then everything good. Well, it's not, it's not sustainable in your spiritual life, it's not sustainable in your financial life to do something that just seems way, way, way too good to be true. And I think people are hungry for things that last, for principles that work, for marketing strategies that are not just overnight successes and get rich quick schemes. I think many people are starting to see behind that and realize that it's very superficial and it doesn't last and it doesn't produce the fruit that they truly want in their life. And so I think this is a perfect time to be talking about the truth about infinite banking and and sharing the stuff that might not be as glitzy and glamorous, but it mm-hmm. really is the stuff that lasts. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the, you know, I hate to talk insurance because, you know, I'm not an insurance advisor. I'm not licensed to sell life insurance. I'm not uh, contracted with any uh, carriers. I, you know, I look at this from, from a client perspective, from a consumer perspective. Um, but you know whole life insurance is 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 not glamorous okay number one number two is hard work because you 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 got to make the effort to 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 build your portfolio over the years okay and i in you know i'll tell you right now that i that i'm three policies behind and and i have no excuse for it except for i'm just i guess you know I'm, you know lazy mm-hmm. but you, you gotta, you, I mean, you gotta come up with a strategy and you gotta work towards an end goal. Uh, and it's, there's no, there's, there's nothing free out there. And life insurance is not, is not a, you know, a free deal. Okay. Insurance companies have to make money to stay in business. They have to have these federally mandated reserves. They have to pay their agents, you know, to, to sell their products at. But it, it's a, it's a, it's a 230 year old product. That's that's out that's standard, you know, that's been out there through the ups and downs. 
you know, and like Nelson bought his first policy in, in when he was 14 years old. Okay, from That's New awesome. York Life. And his parents were the beneficiaries. And he was like, his, his premium was like $11 a month or something, $10 a month or something like that. You know, I showed those policies. I, I have them all. I showed them at the last think tank. And it's just like, you got to be kidding me. Why would a 14-year-old guy buy a policy, a New York Life policy, and have his parents as beneficiary? It's like, it's, it's crazy. Then he bought another one two years later. And then when he got engaged to his, 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 his wife, Mary, he bought a policy on her, her life, okay, before they got married. So he believed in, in, in that solid product set. Okay, and this is, you know, IBC was, that didn't come around until like 1990, you know, um, 1988 when he had, his, you know, his financial problems. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing glamorous about life insurance, especially whole life. But you're right, social media tries to make it this wonderful, you know, you know product. What, what, the important thing is, is the privatized banking aspect of it, okay? If you want to get rid of your credit cards, you know, get rid of your 17 or 22 or 25%, you know, interest rates. If you want to eventually take over your home mortgage, if you direct all that interest back into an entity that you own, then you, you got to come up with a long range plan. You got to stick to it. Otherwise, you're not going to get there. Okay. One of the things that, that kind of bothers me about IBC, and this is, this goes back before all the social media is that the big focus was, uh, was debt reduction for IBC. Okay. And the, in the, the, the sales pitch was, okay, how much is your credit card debt, the debt that you have currently? Well, I have $10,000 in credit card debt. I'm servicing three credit cards at X number of dollars a month. Well, let me show you how you can design a policy and you can transfer that debt within the construct of the policy. Okay. And then you can, and eventually you can move all that debt into a policy construct. You can be servicing that debt through policy loan repayment, which is fantastic. But the, some of the, some of those individuals ended up with a policy with $10,000 in, in a policy loan obligation that they were servicing on a monthly basis. But after a year or two, guess what? <laughs> Their three credit cards are maxed out again. And so now you got, you're working on two sets of values there because they didn't understand the banking process and, and how, and what this is all about. And you talked about Christianity and you talked about the fundamental uh, truths behind that. Well, if you don't understand the truths behind how to manage your banking process, then you're probably going to waste your time. And, and what's going to happen if you have $10,000 in debt with a credit card coupled with $10,000 debt on your life policy? Which one's going to, going to go first? Well, you know, the, the insurance company's not going to take your house mm-hmm. or take your car or take whatever because, then, because there's no collateral in that debt. But the credit card sure, certainly will. So that's the one you're going to focus on. So what typically happens, those policies lapse. And so that's David, another we, we just said we this just, like we hour, just, right? we, Yeah, we just talked about this on a, previ- on a previous podcast. And what's so hurtful about that is then all of a sudden people say, well, see, whole life insurance is a bad product. Uh, this IBC concept doesn't work. And yes, this debt reduction 
is is uh, or this velocity banking that people are trying to you know use whole life insurance for really is 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 not the it's not the long term thinking that we're trying to do as far as changing your money habits you know the whether it's the arrival syndrome you think you've got it all figured out now that all I have to do is do this um, but people have to change the way that they view money. This is probably a good uh, transition on how the infinite banking um, it, or the infinite banking LLC or the Nelson Nash Institute came to being. So could you kind of start from the beginning? You know, you and I met in 2000, I think it was 2008 or 2009 uh, from a night of clarity is where we were first uh, got introduced with Robert and Carlos, and then they quickly introduced you to you and Nelson. But can you kind of talk about the evolution of the Nelson Nash Institute and then thus how the practitioner's program came about and why the practitioner's program came about? Okay, yeah, good. Uh, Nelson believed in in grace, okay? And he thought that uh, that everybody should have IBC because it was a gift to everybody. Uh, you know, this is the right thing to do. I mean, he, he despised qualified plans. He despised, you know, federal, you know, government uh, channeling everybody's money through Wall Street and, and select getting rich. And so he saw IBC as a way for people to get their money out of Wall Street, not invest in qualified plans, have the money locked up, blah, 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 and use it whenever they needed it on a private contractual basis between the individual and a mutual insurance company. Okay, so he, freedom. And he wanted to spread the word. And his Nelson's joy was to do live seminars. And he do like he one year he did fifty of them. Okay, and I'm talking about an 85 year old man who stands up for ten hours straight. Okay, two hours on Friday night and eight hours on Saturday, and teaches IBC to five people, fifty people, whatever whoever was in the room. And that he would go and people would have to raise their hand and say, can we stop and take a, take a bathroom break? Because he just, he was so passionate about it. But anyway, so, so somebody would sponsor him for a seminar, typically an insurance agent, because they wanted to, you know, use him as a platform to sell life insurance. And he would gladly accept it. Of course, he, he got paid and he'd go to, he'd fly out to wherever they were and he'd do a seminar and he'd meet with me, with people and he'd get to know the insurance agent that was doing it and blah, blah, blah. And so the agent became, you know, a friend and whatever. And nobody ever asked, what are they doing with this information? Mm. And over the years, you know, I kept, I'd go with them to on these seminars and, and some of these, some of these guys were selling the wrong product set. Some guys and gals, some of them were, were designing what yeah, it wasn't, they weren't doing it correctly. I don't know if it was intentional or if they just didn't understand or what the deal was. Or they would be a front person for somebody else who was doing the selling and it was totally the wrong product set and they stayed in the background. And so Carlos, Bob and I and Nelson said, you know, we have to, we have to uh, come up with a standard, okay, a baseline standard for what this is about. And if Nelson wants, Nelson's going to continue to do, do seminars, we have to hold the individual accountable for what they're going to sell off Nelson's genius, okay? And so we created the practitioner program to create that population of financial professionals who would be offered the opportunity to use Nelson 
in a live environment. So that was number one. So I said, okay, how do we do that? Okay, I, we in the past we worked with insurance agents to create kind of a training program for different for agencies, but it didn't ever work because those agents had their own idea about how to do stuff, mm. and plus they wanted to co-opt the message. And it's like, no, this is Nelson's message, so we're not going to do that. So we created, we decided, we called it the Infinite Banking Institute initially. Carlos, Bob, Nelson, and I decided we we're going to create a, a educational program, strictly educational, that was not aligned with any insurance individual that teach it, that would teach the foundational truth of IBC, okay, and link it to what we called Austrian economics, okay, which is a whole nother 10-hour discussion uh, about understanding the, what causes boom and bust cycles in the business world, okay, how does the economics of life insurance really work, stuff like that, okay, so we're going to do that, and that would be the gate that agents would have to pass through in order to become an authorized IBC practitioner to use Nelson, to use our products, our trademarks or copyrights or whatever. So that, that was the baseline of it. And he had a, he had, Nelson had a population of 30 or 40 agents who were actively using him for seminars. And, and we said, everybody who wants to, to be an IBC practitioner needs to go through this program. When these, and someone said, well, what about me? I, you know, Nelson's already done five seminars for me. Why do I have to do it? Because we're starting from ground zero. Okay. So, so, okay, fine. So that's when we started the program in February, 2013. I think we enrolled 99 people. Mm, okay? yeah. And then a year later, you know, we decided that, well, this is supposed to be, we, not only do we need to control, you know, who's using Nelson personally, uh, but we need to, uh, make sure that uh, everybody understands, you know, I mean, where the public needs to go to learn about IBC, okay? One, a one-stop shop where they can go and they can get the materials, they can look at the videos, stuff like this, and they can find, an, they can find a financial professional and agent, IBC practitioner. And so, you know, Infinite Banking Institute, that sounded like something aligned with the Federal Reserve. <laughs> As we said, what we really need to do is we need to provide an entity that people can find easily and that will honor Nelson's legacy. And so that's when we changed it to the Nelson Nash Institute. Okay, so there was no question about what it was. The word banking wasn't in there. It was about him, about his vision, about his genius and, 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 and his grace Okay, and, and his but but about sharing his message with the world, and it, it was you know, nothing. There's no hidden agenda. Okay, so, you know what you see is what you get. Okay, so that that was the genesis of of it and why we did it. Okay, and and uh, as I recall, uh, there's been a, a few because I I believe our organization was one of the first to actually get into the practitioner's program and go through it. There's been some evolution along the way. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what's in the practitioner's program? How many people actually sign up? How many people actually complete the practitioner's program? If how you can check out to see if a person is a practitioner, because that would be a great way for people that are looking at social media and they see a, a certain person they could go see if that person is actually a practitioner and is actually following the Nelson Nash Institute guidelines. Yeah, uh, yeah that's a good point. Uh, 
you know, we, we have a listing of, of practitioners on the website and our initial thought was, okay, we'll, we'll put this listing up there. So if somebody lives in Missouri and they hear about IBC through a podcast, or whatever, they want to find somebody who's trained, uh, they'll go to it and say, oh, okay, here's Bruce Weiner here. Boom, I'll call him up. Boom, you know. But what ended up happening more often than that was folks would hear about IBC from somebody in social media land and they would find out, they would go to my website and see if that person was on there. And if they weren't, then they'd contact us and say, hey, listen, is this individual part of your organization? And it's like, no, he's not. You know, I can't verify if he's trained or not, but he's not been through our program. And so that happens more often than, than somebody looking for an agent. But, you know, the Nelson National Institute, infinitebanking.org is the URL. And there's a practitioner finder database on that website. You can get to it from the homepage or you know, the resource tab. And all you have to do is click on that. You'll get a map of the United States or a map of Canada. And you just click on your province or state and you'll see a listing of individuals who are resident agents. And then below that, you'll have non-resident agents. And those individuals have been through our training program, number one. And number two, they've, they've joined the institute membership as practitioners. They, they pay an annual fee to be listed on there, to be invited to the think tank, to get it, you know, have access to, you know, different materials on their, their membership portal. Uh, and oh, by the way, we don't, we don't receive overrides from any production at all. Okay. We generate income from our training program, from membership dues and, you know, from selling books and stuff. That's it. Okay. And so that, that is a, that is a great resource going to the site and trying to validate if this person's been through the training program or not. You asked how many people have gone through the program and what it looks like now. We've changed it three or four times. We've added material to it. We've made the, the contract more restrictive, okay, so we can terminate people easier that are doing the wrong thing. Um, but I've said, you know, we, we interview everybody who wants to be a practitioner. They submit an application. I do a phone interview with them, find out who they are, you know, and then if, 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 they, if they pass that, then I schedule them for a Zoom interview between Carlos, Bob, and I are in that interview. And then we, you know, we spend an hour with them. And then we decide if we're going to offer a membership or not, or not membership, but enrollment in the course. And the second decision we, we, we look for is if that person is, is like-minded to us, i.e., for a, you know, a libertarian Aust Austrian, okay, believes in the product, wants to do business with an insurance company, not with the federal government, you know, and they say all the right things, but they have limited experience in the insurance industry or limited experience in IBC, then we, we offer them enrollment with the requirement they have to work with an existing practitioner initially who will vet them and make sure they're doing it right. Okay. I mean, nobody's an expert on IBC, you know, mm -hmm. so I'm not, we're not saying, okay, this person's got to work with them until the, the Nelson Nash reincarnated, but we just want to make sure they understand the fundamentals are doing it correctly. Okay. And so th those are the, th those are the wickets we go through. And, and, uh, and right now I've, uh, I don't want to say any companies out there, but we get, I get a lot of applications from the, from, from different IMOs like world financial group, for example. And, without throwing anybody in the bus and say, listen, you know, you sound like you're a great applicant, but that doesn't work with IBC because of different structural 
constraints within the organization. So you gotta, you know, look for somebody different. Or I'll do an interview with somebody before they get to the gambit and I say, listen, you know, you're really excited about it. You read the book five times. You just got your insurance license, but you really don't understand the industry. Okay, this is not about like just because it sounds really good to you doesn't mean you can be you can make a living doing this as an insurance agent. So I give them a, you know a, you know a path to get on, and then so you get some experience first. So so probably about half the people that submit an application get to the interview process, the formal interview process, and once they get there, probably you know ninety five percent are approved to enroll, and out of that ninety five percent probably. 80% actually enroll. And you know, I don't know, you know, what, what the difference is, why they don't, but they don't. And then and then we have people who go through the course but never finish the course. So I don't understand that either. And then it's people that finish the course and work with a mentor and that, and they, you know, whatever. So we typically have about 300 practitioners that are active. Okay, in the United States and Canada, about 300. Uh, and there's always, there's probably like 150 that are somewhere in their students or mentee status floating right out there. And then a lot of folks decide that they, they do want to sell an I, IUL or they do want to do these policy designs that are not congruent, what we teach. And so they, they, they elect to, to not to renew their membership and go up and do their own thing. Okay. And that's fine. You know, we're not, you know, we're not, uh, above anybody else. We just have, we have certain standards that we uphold and that's the, that's the bottom line. If you don't want to do what you got to do, then move on. You know, it's, you know, it's a big, big planet out there. It's, it's, everybody needs to understand what this is about and everybody needs to have an opportunity to do it. So the more, the better. Well, I yeah, love thanks, it. So, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that. And the other thing, um, what I think reason that people don't follow through David is because you guys have done a, a great job of, of making this an ex extensive test of whether they really want to understand what's going on or not mm -hmm. and fixing the problem. And I've mentored people for the, for the Institute. And all of a sudden, you know, as we're, I'm trying to educate them on how the policy design, why how it works. And they just fall off the face of the earth. You know, it's yeah. like, Oh, I thought I was just going to be able to show somebody an illustration and they said they just sign up. Well, that's not the way it works. Yeah. You, they actually, you actually have to help the person understand how that's going to benefit them and solve the problem of the financing in their lives. And yeah. people just aren't willing to do it. They just think it's some kind of lead generator that people are just going to say, oh, I want this so badly. Just give me the application and let's go. And so yeah. these, these people actually just fall off the mentor program because it's, it's a lot of work. But then when you do have a practitioner that's gone through it, you know they're prepared. They can answer the questions. They can help a person along. That's the other thing that the 90-10 happens is that they never talk about servicing the policy. Mm -hmm. they, they just want to get you into this the first year, and you never hear about how they're going to service it. Well, the reason is, is that they don't service it. They put it all on you to take care of it. Where in the in the practitioners program, you 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 learn how to actually do annual reviews, actually uh, how they actually will call you to set up a loan and a loan repayment schedule, and and the kind of things that you should be understanding on your annual review, your annual statements, and so on and so forth. And you know, a lot of people in the industry don't want to do that. They just want some shiny 
illustration to put in front of somebody and go from that. So that's why I thought it was real important to talk about how the practitioner program works. And well, Rachel, Bruce, I know you had note, Yeah, on that note, I think for the consumer, for the person who's looking for a true infinite banking policy, I think the practitioner program is very good at helping them understand and see who is going to match up with those priorities. I think if you are concerned that maybe I'm getting something that's not quite right, or it's not going to perform for the long term, or the policy design isn't quite right, or I'm not going to be serviced well, or the the advisor might not really understand infinite banking the way that Nelson Nash intended it, and that I really want to create in my life. If you have any of those questions, making sure that you're working with someone who is a practitioner is I mean, I wouldn't say it's a 100% guarantee, but you're in a position of really knowing that this person's been vetted, they have the relationships, they have the, um, the education, the training, and they're willing to continue on with, with those fundamentals. And so I think that just gives a lot of certainty for the consumer who's really looking for that information. And then I love that you brought up the whole idea too, that a lot of advisors might say, oh, hey, look, there's a lot of money in infinite banking. Let me just go ahead and get certified so that I can be you know, more attractive. And then that's a marketing ploy, really. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm now certified. And so now because I'm certified, people will trust me more. Well, if the fit isn't right, that's something that you're not continuing on with that, um, that stamp of approval from the practitioner's program. So I really love that you're... Um, bringing full circle, just really this truth, the, the salt of the earth, the, the fundamentals, the, the reality of how infinite banking works. And you're really keeping it true to its original intent. Yeah. That, that's the intent. Yeah. And, and, you know, some people call us old fashioned because we don't understand the new product set, the new product set. Well, life okay. is pretty old fashioned, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's, there is a, you know, one thing I, that, that I was concerned about was if you're a true practitioner and you have, just say you have 200 clients, IBC practitioner, professional, and you have 200 clients, if you're, if you're, if you're handling them correctly, how many more clients can you take on? You know, uh, and I don't know, Bruce, how much, how many repeat offenders you have where you, you, you're, you have a core client base and a lot of your business is, is additional policies. Yeah, from the, absolutely. Those policies. Because you're because you're because you're you are coaching them, you're holding them accountable, and you're keeping them engaged. And so they understand the process. And somebody who leads with an illustration, walk, don't run. Get out of the dodge. They don't know what they're talking about. Okay. If somebody contacts me and says, I want to be a practitioner, what kind of software do you guys have? Hey, <laughs> Why would I be concerned about software? If you're an insurance agent, if you're not if you're not an expert on your carrier's proprietary software, then why do you need something else? So that tells me you don't understand what's going on with in your company set number one and number two is you're looking for a sales pitch. So you know you're looking for, you're looking at the wrong place because this is a successful practitioner is somebody. Who, who can look the client or the prospect in the eye and say, tell me what you know about IBC. Tell me what you think you know about IBC. What problems can you can this solve for you and your family? If they say, well, you're supposed to tell me that, then don't spend all your time reading the book to them, okay? You need to make them take ownership of what the core problem is here, and that's banking. Okay, if they don't understand that, then that 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 potential client probably is not going to be worth it. Okay, in the long run, 
So it's that's what we focus on education, education, education. And we we did the program I told you earlier. And Robert Murphy, PhD economist, he was the guy that actually put the course together for us. You know, we had all this material, and, and he just he just locked himself in a room and, and worked for a month and, and knocked it out because he. I mean, the guy's the guy's a genius. Oh okay? yes, he is. And he understands he understand he understands what we're doing, and he's obviously he's fully invested in what we're doing as being part of the team. But uh, you know, IBC is freedom is the bottom line. Okay, and if you do, you know, you know, I'm 69 years old, believe it or not. Haha. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I guess I'm going to have to mandatorily take Social Security next year. Okay, when I'm 70, or that's going to be mandatory. Uh, I would rather to have the federal government not, you know, not take my social security premiums from me and not even pay me and let me use that source of income or source of payments to go into these policy constructs. I, mean, I don't, I don't want it. I don't need it. Okay. And, but it's, again, it's mandatory. It's, it's, you know, it's directed qualified plans. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Again, that's another another topic of conversation. But, you know, I talked about at the last think tank, you know, about my dad. And I contrasted with some of his financial instruments he had with what Nelson was doing. And uh, one of the things that I inherited from him, plus I have four siblings, you know, everything was split five ways, was he had a he had a, a mutual fund account set up. So I got one fifth of that instead of cashing it in. I said, okay, I'm going to use this as a as a as a as a as a proof of principle. Since all I do is IBC, I don't have, you know, anything else. You know, IBC period, boom. Uh, so now I have this small little mutual fund, <laughs> and every month I get my statement. It's like, boy, if this is all I had, I would be freaking out. Okay, so what kind of con job is this? You know, yeah, five years ago it was going the other way, right? But now it's going. This way, it's like, you know, okay, folks, wake up. Number five in the list of principles for IBC. We didn't talk about this. Number five. What is it, Bruce? Oh, I forgot what we already talked about. It's been so long. Oh, we we talked about, talk about think long range. Don't be afraid to capitalize. Right. Don't steal the peas. Don't do business with banks. Number five, rethink your thinking. Rethink your thinking, yeah. I, okay. I guess I need to rethink my thinking because I, I forgot that one all, okay, no, on okay. the spot there. That was we given to us by one of our practitioners about, I don't know, about six years ago. And I mean, you, you've, like you always got to step back and think, you know, what is really going on out there? <laughs> why, why do we have these, these plans where we're granted these, these deferred tax benefits? Okay. Why don't we just put something in there that's, that's, that's outside the tax structure, you know, and we, I don't have to worry about, you know, death benefit, non-taxable, cash surrender, non-taxable, unless you exceed your cost basis, dividend uh, payouts, non-taxable, okay, uh, transfer ownership of policy, no tax implied there, whether it be an absolute assignment or, or ownership transfer. I mean, this is all freedom, okay? And it's yeah, and, lo and, lo loans aren't taxable. Loans aren't taxable. Uh, like I said earlier, there's no collateral. Okay. The policy is the, is the collateral so that your house or car will not be repossessed. It's freedom. Okay. So, so 
And that's why Nelson said, it's not about interest rates. Okay. That's not important. So what if you can get a car for 0% from the GMAC dealership loan? <laughs> Pay 5% and own it outright without having to worry about any of that stuff. Okay. Plus, if, again, just go back, reel it back, you know, an hour, construct the policy correctly, pay your, your, your loans back on a methodical basis and construct the repayment schedule back so you can pay it off early, redirect additional payments into your PUA, okay? So you can grow the policy on top of, of, of uh, paying the, the vehicles back or whatever. It's, 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 about, it's about freedom, okay? So that's the bottom line. It's interesting you mentioned that because I, you know, during these low, low interest rate environments, I would get people that say, well, why would I borrow against my policy when I can get a 3.9%, you know, from the dealership and I'm going to have to pay 5% to the insurance company. And first of all, I, you know, um, no matter how much you try to rethink their thinking, um, it's so ingrained in us as a, an American society to, to focus on interest rates. And I would yeah. simply, I wouldn't try to to do the math with them and try to talk about how, well, yes, but if you're capitalizing, you're, you're actually making money over here, compound it. Who cares if you're paying a little, you know, interest to the, to the, the company, the most important thing is you control the banking process. So, if you need to change your loan, you can change your loan payment. You know, if you whether it means reduce it, stop it for a little bit, you know, so on and so forth. You can't do that with a bank. You can't say, oh, by the way, we had a little extra this month and when we can't, we'd like to reduce our our payment from five hundred dollars to four hundred dollars this month. That they'll uh, they'll laugh at you. David, you mentioned this briefly earlier about how people were assigning their policies to banks uh, to get collateral assignment so they could get a lower interest rate. And we actually, I actually had two clients that did that and both of them regretted it because what ended up happening was they didn't read the fine print and they could pay it off and get, and get, and get that release of collateral collateral because the interest rate was variable, so it went over what the insurance companies uh, were actually charging. So they wanted to get their policy back. Well, they told the bank, "I'd like to, you know, pay off my policy." And they said, "Or my loan to get my policy uh, uh, back to myself." And they said, "Well, that's fine. Pay it off." Well, they go, "But we need to, we need the cash value to pay it off." So you have to release it so we can get the cash value. And, and the banks are like, well, we're not going to release it because that's the collateral. So they were stuck. They had to come mm -hmm. up with the they had to come up with the cash from somewhere else to be able to release it. Yeah. So these this is the lack of freedom that you're talking about. Yeah. So one of the things I think um, I want people to understand is that the Nelson Nash Institute was not set up for insurance agents. It was set up for the general public. The practitioners program was set up for the for the uh, uh, insurance professionals. So, can you talk about some of the resources that are on the Nelson Nash Institute website that the general public can actually purchase for themselves? Well, I mean, you know, they can they can buy materials, but a lot of stuff's free. Also, uh, you know, we have a store. We sell you know Nelson's book, Become Your Own Banker, second book, you know, Become Build Your Wealth. 
other, other books and materials and DVDs and this and that. So it's, you know, all that's there for the public. Uh, and there's, there's like, you know, we have a video series we, 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 we did back in COVID days called Foundations of IBC Video Series. Uh, there's like 12 parts. The first, I think, four or five videos are free to the public. And if you want to view the rest of them, you can either pay a whopping $49.95 or you can call up Bruce and ask him for a code and he'll let you he'll give it to you and you can watch them all for free. So those videos are, are a good resource in my mind for IBC because, again, we stick with the basics. There's no creative you know, magic about them. Also, there's, you know, we do the bank notes, which is a little annual a correction monthly uh, newsletter I do. Now, it used to be all kinds of information there, but Nelson was around all kinds of Austrian stuff. But I, I've cut it back, and all I do is have one or two articles, and it's all focused on IBC. And most of them are either stuff by Carlos or, or Bob. Okay, so that's that's a freebie. They can, they can get that on a monthly prescription. Uh, we have articles posted. Uh, a lot of the stuff that Bob and Carlos have written in the past are posted on there that are all very – uh, pointed towards IBC, pointed towards banking, pointed towards things that are really critically important to be successful in uh, in our world, our privatized banking world. Um, and, you know, so the, the site and, and the institute, like you said, our focus is the consumer. We want to protect the consumer. We want them to, to, to do their own deep, deep dive. Okay, and your deep dive isn't watching videos for five hours on YouTube. Your deep dive is to actually do some reading and do some research. Okay, and so that that's our focus, and and we're, uh, you know, we're we're thinking about evolving and changing how we're doing business. But that's that's something that's just going to be a teaser I'm going to put out there uh, about how we can get our practitioners more involved in what we're doing as an institute. And moving forward so that's something that we're, we're thinking about we're also getting ready to publish another book uh, that's, a, that's another teaser uh it'll probably come out in 2023 uh hopefully i'll have advanced copies for think tank participants but that's another another wish that i have <laughs> so, mm, that's awesome. well awesome. um can we um <clears throat> so I'd like to kind of wrap up the podcast with. I have a question I, before we wrap up, but um, it's about like the long term and more generational thinking. Do you want to cover what you have first, or do you want me to ask about this first? Uh, yeah, why don't you start with yours first? Okay. Yeah. So you had mentioned, um, you know, having something that works great later on. This was kind of when you were talking about the 1090 policy design where people are getting too creative and thinking about, well, how can I have the most cash value right after I fund the policy? And this really goes along with the whole first rule of infinite banking to think long range. And I think many people can wrap their mind around the idea of, well, I can think long range, you know, maybe 10 years, 20 years, I can think long range to the end of my lifetime. But I think one of the greatest benefits of infinite banking is the generational component of being able to create generational wealth, where you have policies that are then paying out a death benefit into the next generation. And somehow you have within your legal guidance or you've trained the next generation on the value of infinite banking and they're using those proceeds to buy additional policies. And so can you just share your perspective on that? And especially as you um, then were receiving some, um, you know, proceeds from Nelson Nash's, he had this 
focus and this eye towards infinite banking, he wasn't just thinking about the end of his life. He was thinking generationally. So how can you yeah. um, just share from your personal experience on that? Yeah, that that is my that is my generational uh, wealth is my wheelhouse personally. Uh, I know that there's a lot of business owners that have a different mindset, but that for me, that that's what's important. And when I say passing, when I think about passing wealth to the next generation, I'm not talking about a death benefit when I die. I'm talking about passing active, vibrant, mature policies to the next generation. And then that's, and then the next generation after that. So we, we think three generations ahead. Like when I, like I haven't bought a policy on myself since 2004, I think it was the last one I got for myself. Maybe it was later than that. I mean, I can check it. But anyway, um, the, all the policies I buy are, are on grandchildren. And you, you, uh, when you, you gave me your, your bio, I, we're actually up to number nine now. But so mm -hmm. the idea is to buy policies on grandchildren that are funded by me. And my hope is that their, their parents will buy a policy also. And then, you know, I'm like I said, I'm 69, and you know, if I buy an, an a L121 on a one-month-old baby, uh, do you think I'm going to be around mm. to do anything with that? So the idea, from my perspective, is the you know going back to a bank, okay, going to back to capitalizing a bank, going back to uninterrupted compounding, going back to a stable base premium. When you, I buy, like I said, an L121, just say $2,000 to $5,000 annual premium on a newborn. After I fund it for 20 years, I pass ownership to the child's parents. Okay, the, the parents now are obligated to continue funding the policy. And I might have used it in the past. I might not have used the policy, i.e. policy loans. It goes to the parents is in, in the transfer of ownership to the parents. Okay, it's private. Okay, now the parents have a policy on, a, on their their twenty year old son or daughter who is probably in college. I don't know where they're at, whatever. And the policy is 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 coming along beautifully. Okay, so they fund it as long as they want to, and eventually they give it to the child. Okay, when the child is maybe forty, I don't know. And so now you have a a forty year old whole life policy that's probably worth you know, five times more than the face value when it was issued. So that's generational wealth transfer. You know, by the way, like you suggested earlier, Rachel, uh, that policy has got enough cash surrender value where you can fund multiple policy premiums out of that mm -hmm. if you want to. It's, it's a seed that will create more trees and you can, you can build a huge portfolio of policies. You know, one word I didn't say before was system of policies. You know, Nelson never said this is about one policy. That's another misnomer about 90-10. You buy one, you're good to go. Okay. No, it's a system of policies. You're grown painfully, as I said before, and you provide those seeds for future generations so they don't have to go through the same pain that the first generation went through to do this. And, and it's that's how that's how it works. Uh, in my mind, it's a generational wealth transfer. Nelson talks about it in the book also. Uh, but that's, you know, it's it, lifestyle is, is a piece of cake. Once you get over that hump. Uh, I love hearing yeah. about that long-term perspective. I mean, mm -hmm. I've been at this way less time than you. And I think our first policy was in 2011. 
So we're right over the 10 year mark. We, we have a second policy now. We probably could have had additional policies in the meantime, but we're putting a, a big chunk of our income into policies and we're loving that scene, the cash value increase. We're loving seeing the, not just when you first fund it, but then incrementally over the months as the dividends are um, working and the interest is working inside the policy. And it's really exciting to hear about the long-term vision, which does take time to build. And it's nothing grows overnight. It's something that you have to work at through a lifetime, which if you're listening and you're just getting started, I'd like you to hear that here's what's possible. It's going to take time to build to that, but it's very exciting when you're being able to stand from your perspective, David, and look at the fruit that's been built before in previous generations from you. And now you're building, I mean, from Nelson to your grandchildren, that's already a four generation span that this legacy is working in your family. And that's just beautiful. It is. And, and, and going back to the coaching aspect of it, you know, you can't just go out and buy a a massive policy on on a grandchild unless the conditions are set that allow you to do that. And that's where Bruce comes in. Okay. So ask him what I'm talking about. Yeah, we talk about, I talk about this with our clients all the time. And David, you are right. You know, there is, there's only a finite amount of, of uh, policies that any one practitioner can take care of. Um, and a lot of our new policies do come from the current policyholders. Um, matter of fact, Wesley Smith, who's been on the Money Advantage, he's on the podcast, one of our clients recently you know, uh, emailed me and said, okay, I'm ready. I have more money coming in. I want to get one on my wife now. And he already has them on his two children. And so, yeah, we get those kind of things all the time. It's funny, Rachel. I was at, this was actually where I was going to make sure. Wow. Oh, generational so cool, planning. Yeah. So one of the things, David, you know, several years ago at the think tank, I did a, a talk called how to make infinite banking infinite. And this next part that I want to talk to is kind of really talking more to the, the financial professionals that listen to our podcast is there is only a finite amount of people that you can can um, have the right customer service with if you're a rugged individualist. Mm-hmm. If you get with the correct team that has the customer service parts in place, because as we all know, home office can only do so much with customer service. They don't even understand the customer service people don't even understand what IBC is. So when people call in and say, oh, I'd like to get a, a loan on my IBC you know, policy, that's not even vernacular that they use. So setting up your organization to actually handle as many as possible helps this generational planning. So I, I thought one of the greatest stories that I have heard, it's kind of a humorous story, David. If you don't mind talking about, it. I know from listening to you on James' uh, podcast recently, you don't really have any loans out right now. Um, and you're, and but as Nelson often said, you know, opportunities find cash. So eventually, you probably find some reason to to take a loan out. But can you talk about the time when Nelson approached you while he was still living, and he wanted to talk to talk to you about the if you had any loans? In oh the, yeah. With your policy yeah. and and, yeah. and how how they were going to take care of it so you had no more loans so i thought that was a great uh, yeah. little story you told at the think tank a few years ago yeah that's uh yeah this is kind of contra to don't steal the peas 
Uh, okay. But I wanted people to hear this because yeah, we're, okay. no. we're, we're all we're all human. You know, no, we I, all have to have we all have to have people that hold us accountable. So no, this then, is great. I no, I appreciate you bringing that up because that's one of my favorite stories. I just don't want to wear it out. But uh, you know, the house I'm living in now, this in my home office, the house here. This is, this is a beautiful place. We bought it from from Nelson Nash and Mary, his wife, uh, my daughter, my daughter, my wife grew up here in this place, and um, we lived you know a couple miles down the street. And Nelson finally came over. You know, Kim said, "Yeah, if you ever sell the house, we, we, we want to buy it." And and it's like the place was it was, <laughs> it was different, okay. But anyway, so finally said, "Hey, listen, you know, I'm getting old. I'm having a hard time managing the property. We're going to move into a garden house. Just you know, you just don't want the house, you know." The, Let's, let's, let's sell it to you. It's like, uh-oh. And so anyway, so we ended up buying the house. And uh, I told Nelson, I said, listen, you know, I love you, but I don't love the house. <laughs> so understand that if we buy it from you, we're going we're gonna to make some, some major modifications. And he said, okay, fine. The bottom line is, you know, we ended up borrowing about $500,000 from our policy portfolio to we tear down and rebuild the house and we did it through, you know, I want to say construction loans, even though they weren't a construction loan kind of set up, but I get an invoice from the builder every two weeks for about $20,000 or something like that. And so I had a thing going every two weeks, I do a $20,000 loan from, you know, I try to keep it in as, in as few policies as I could just to manage it. But, you know, over the course of time, you know, we're, you know, about $500,000. And then, uh, so we finished the house in 2011 and we moved into it in, in uh, April 2011. I don't know if you remember or not, but that's when all those huge t- tornadoes came through here uh, in, in April of, of 11. You know, one went through Tuscaloosa and they killed over 200 people in Alabama. And the is house that we were the Mobile, in, Alabama one too? No, this is up north. This 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 okay. went through Tuscaloosa, then went through Birmingham. There's about three. The one. Two or three went through in the morning at 530 and then a couple went through later on that afternoon. Mm. Anyway, my existing house we were living in was not damaged, but we lost power. And I was what I was thinking was, oh, no, I just, you know, this house I'm in now was, you know, done, but we still hadn't taken taken possession of it yet. And I'm thinking, uh, so I drove down here in a panic, you know, hoping that there was not a tree land on top of it. But the house was perfect and it had power. And so. The place I was in, no power, no water, no nothing. So we we did a quick quick thing, moved our all our you know stuff over here, you know, beds and stuff like that. But moving here, anyway, we moved in here in April of eleven, and I started. I did not have a monthly schedule for paying back the mortgage, the quote unquote private mortgage on the house. I didn't do that. All I did was I do big cash dumps, you know, uh, you know, twenty thousand here, fifty thousand there. And uh, one day back in, I guess it was 2017, Nelson walked in here. He come over here every day. We sit here every day in the morning for two hours and drink coffee. And, and he was just hammering me all the time about, you know, asking me questions. Or I'd ask him a question and he would never answer it. And it was like, okay, you need to find out the answer yourself. Anyway, we had these discussions and whatnot. So one day he walks in here and says, Okay, I got a question for you. I said, okay, you know, IBC question. No, it was like, how big is your outstanding loan portfolio? It's like, oh no, I've not been a good steward of IBC, and I still owe about five hundred thousand dollars. And I, so I said, oh no, 
if I tell him I get mad at me because I haven't been servicing these loans like I should. And I said, oh, about $500,000. And he goes, good. <laughs> and all he said was good. <laughs> and he walked out. He left. And I'm going, what, what was that about? And then, and then we started talking about it later on. He said, listen, you need a place for a windfall. I said, well, what do you mean? I said, he goes, anybody who gets a, gets a windfall, you know, whether it's a lottery jackpot or a death benefit or whatever, if they don't have a place to park that money, they're going to blow it. And he, he liked the, the term blow it. And he said, I mean, he's right. You look at all these, these, these professional sports people that have these massive contracts and like five or 10 years later, they're bankrupt. Right. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you need to play, you need a place for, for windfalls. And at 500 K that's, that's a good, good number for you. And so what he was talking about was my wife actually owned a couple of policies on Nelson and he was planning his, his, he was planning his, his passing. And he wanted to, he was looking at all the stuff he owned and all the stuff that Mary owned. And he was trying to figure out, you know, you know, obviously he knew who the beneficiaries were and what the percentage of the death benefit were and stuff like that. But he was trying to protect us so that we wouldn't, you know, do something uh, that we would regret. And so, so, you know, so I guess if we talked about, you know, the five principles is that a sixth principle is, is, is be prepared for windfalls. Because I'll tell you right now, if you're, if you're, if you're a practicing IBC person, you're going to have them. Okay. And, and the best place to put a windfall is in a policy construct. Whether you're buying a new policy, you're overfunding existing policies, or you're filling up uh, loan holes, okay? Prepare for that and plan for that. Yeah, so we, you know, don't seal the piece. Don't seal the piece comes into, you know, several iterations. You know, one of it is having an amortization schedule that we talk about with our clients. You know, okay, so... It's especially with things that you normally would have an amortization schedule for, like a, a car loan. But then we also talk about windfalls. Like a, a couple of years ago, I sold one of my rental properties. Uh, I told this story on the podcast before, and I had a hundred and ten thousand dollar windfall. Well, it just so happened that I was able to take that hundred and ten thousand dollars and then pay off all my loans in my policies. And and so if you understand that you may have a windfall from some kind of investment that you've made outside the policy, that is another way to pay off the policy. And then finally, the generational planning that you just talked about, and Rachel's about to release her legacy uh, program, um, that is part of generational planning is where does part or all of the death benefit go to the next generation? So I thought that was a good a good way to kind of wrap up all the aspects of infinite banking in this um, podcast again. And David, I want to thank you personally for taking the time and coming on. You've been a great friend over the years and I've gotten a lot out of, of, of Nelson and your uh, experiences. And we want to continue to grow the Nelson Nash Institute in the right way with the right people. And I'm looking forward to this year's think tank. Great. I appreciate that. Thanks very much. I do uh, look forward to the event every year. Uh, I look forward to your participation. And the rest of your group, uh, you've been you've been solid practitioners, and I, as you said, you're you're a mentor for us. Okay, if I have somebody who needs help and you're interested in taking them on, I, you know, one of the guys I go to. So that that speaks a lot for what we think about you, also. So, 
Well, well David, anyway, this I has enjoyed been, it, Rachel. Yeah, this has been really good. I love how you covered so many aspects, but it's not just from a, uh, the typical viewpoint. It's not just from a an advisor perspective. It's really from caring, not just about your personal financial life and how how you've put so much into IBC, but also just really caring about how infinite banking is used and how people truly can benefit from this beautiful, old-fashioned, non-flashy product that over time just does tremendous benefits. And you said something, you said it has a growth spurt um, of uninterrupted compounding. And I just loved how you said that. I mean, that's the exponential growth curve. And Mm -hmm. anyone who's experienced that in any way recognizes the beauty of that uninterrupted compound growth. And if you have multiple places that you are now maturing these policies, you are in a position of having that growth spurt truly happen. Yep. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the, 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 one of the eight wonders of the world, you know, <laughs> and everybody's forgotten about it, unfortunately, because of all kinds of shenanigans. Well, because nobody yeah. gets uninterrupted compound growth, they get it for like, what, a month in their savings account, and then they use the money or, you know, two years in the savings account, then they use the money. And the problem is nobody holds cash long term, but with infinite banking, you have the ability to hold this cash inside oh. of your policy, keep the uninterrupted growth all the while you're using it as well at the same time. And that's just unheard yeah. of in so many, so many places. Well, hey, hey, the, one, yeah, I'm sorry. One of the topics you guys need to talk about is, uh, is it IBC slash whole life insurance is inflation proof. I don't know if you've gone there or not, mm. but you need to explore that if you haven't. Well, what's, what's, what's interesting, Rachel, before we wrap up and I, and I just want to make sure we do wrap up, but uh, because we're here for our listeners, our listeners had two questions oh, today yes. that I want to I want to briefly get to before we wrap up. And one, David, coincidentally, is about the inflation. So the first one was about uh, the PUAs and um, will it affect the MEC status? First of all, there is the the Treasury Department or the IRS MEC laws, but then each individual insurance company also has their interpretation of the MEC. Um, not the law so much, but how they want to um, actually apply the premiums to certain base or term or PUA so that they don't want to ever come close to those MEC limits. Now, some some companies actually get closer to those MEC limits. And what he was asking is, is how can that act possibly affect? Well, there are some companies that actually use a blended PUA term um, blend and they actually have the PUAs from the dividends that are purchased buy out the term every year. And if that the, the, the dividend doesn't actually perform the way they thought, it may not buy out as much of the term. And thus, you could actually give what one uh, practitioner once called is, is, a, is a dividend call. In other words, the dividend wasn't great enough and it didn't buy out uh, enough of the of the term. So you actually have to put more in it to actually get the same results, or it may not buy enough insurance so that you, you would actually mech the policy if you put more into it. So that's, that's something that you have to work with a practitioner to determine. The great thing that most insurance companies nowadays will not allow you to put too much money into it. They will actually contact you or the practitioner or the insurance agent and say, we really don't want to accept this money, but there are companies out there that still will do it. 
So you have to make sure of it. And then the final one, Jonathan Ratliff said, my company, and this is about the inflation, David, my company just announced an interest rate effective January 1st, but was expected given the rates going up. So this is a big topic. So uh, several companies have announced interest rates for the loans. Now, the those are tied normally to the Moody bond index. And as the interest rates have gone up in the Moody bond index, then borrowing costs from the insurance company will also go up. The great part about this, though, is that now the portfolio at the insurance company is also making more money. So like we just found out from the from the insurance company, we use most that yes, they're going from 5% to 5.7% for the borrowing cost. But remember, you're part of the owners of the company. So you're going to reap that additional benefit. But they also are making 6.5% on their portfolio, their investment portfolio now. So historically, what will happen is there's always a drag. The loan interest actually goes up first. And then the next year or two, the dividend interest goes up and it will follow. So there will always be an arbitrage where the dividends will be paying more than the loan interest rate. And that's where the inflation comes in, uh, hedge against inflation, because the dividends then will start to keep up or in some cases outpace inflation going forward. Because why is it outpacing inflation? Because it's tax-free growth rather than tax of uh, taxable growth in the fruit. Well, technically it's tax deferred growth, but you can access it tax-free. So you mm-hmm. can overcome that. So all th- those questions kind of answered both of those. Yeah. It's, uh, go ahead, David. You know, back in the day, I know we want to wrap this up, but, but I mean, you look at some of the, look at some of the illustrations that Nelson put in BYOB from 2000, you can't ever get close to that nowadays simply because of the interest rate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Both, the loan rate and also the dividend scale. Okay, but you're right. The the if if the Feds would let the interest rate realign itself to a natural rate instead of a forced rate, then I, th- these companies would make a lot more uh, on their their portfolios, like you said. And the, the actual your 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 IBC policy would perform better than it's illustrated. Mm-hmm. And another, you know, well, we, Nelson talked about his, his state farm policy a million times. We, I'm sure you guys talked about that in your course lessons thing. Okay. You know, that policy, the face amount in that policy, but was $20,000. Okay. When, when his wife received the death benefit, it was $137,000. If you apply the five factor, it's even higher than that. Okay. So, so. And that was that, and that, that Nelson used that policy to, to buy stuff. Okay. And that policy didn't even have a PUA rider on it. Okay. It was just a dividend by paid up additional insurance. So you're, you're right there. You know, there, these things are bulletproof. If the company is a solid mutual, mutual holding company or whatever, and it's, and it's managed properly, you know, so. And they've, they've proven they can manage it for 230 years. So I think they have yeah. a pretty good track record. Yep. They don't, they don't pay their, their CEOs $20 million is one of the reasons. <laughs> no, they don't. Which is why it's really important not just to make all your decisions based on the interest rate the insurance company charges. And 
the illustration for what the illustrated dividend is this year. I mean, there's just so many things that we could even well, yeah. unpack from here. Thank, thanks, Rachel, because uh, I want to also tell people, remember, the declared dividend rate really doesn't mean anything because there's no industry standards to that either. So yeah. some, of it's a, some of it's a gross, some of it's net, some of it's, a, it's actually somewhere in between. So don't get caught up on declared dividend rates too, because there's no industry standard for that. And uh, we hear this all the time. People say, well, why would I go with this company? Their dividend is less than, and, oh. and we're like, that, that's, you have to understand that it's a proprietary thing. They don't tell you how they declare it. They don't tell you how they apply it. And I use this all the time. Coca-Cola doesn't tell you how they came to their dividend either. So it's not, it's not like the, they're trying to be secretive. It's proprietary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, Jonathan Ratliff just had another comment. Um, he's a practitioner. I don't know if a practitioner, he's an advisor, at least. I love it when doing a review with a client on Whole Life that we placed some years ago. The growth has been been even beyond the Enforce illustration tendered with policy delivery. And I think, I mean, this all comes back to, we say something at the very end, which I'm going to bring up in the show right now. We say success leaves clues and follow the successful few. What's interesting is if you look at anyone who's held whole life policies for their lifespan, you're probably not going to see people who are significantly disappointed with the results. And so um, I think that's just one of the beautiful things about talking to somebody who's been using infinite banking for so long in their life. So um, David, this has been really wonderful having you on. I think we could have still talked for several more hours and maybe we'll just have to have you back in the future. Um, if anyone wants to find you specifically or find your work, I mean, we definitely need to direct people to infinitebanking.org. Um, you mentioned all the books, all the resources, all the materials. Um, and just, I, I just really want to thank you. Is there anything that you would say, David, as we wrap up today, any last words that you'd like to share? No, I just, uh, you know, I just appreciate uh, being on. Uh, it's always you know, sometimes I don't, I don't, you know, come from a script. I just try to keep it, you know, keep it real. Uh, and uh, I guess I should make it more of an effort to, to get out there. But, um, you know, my concern is that IBC will, will, will be uh, destroyed. Okay. If, if uh, enough people misrepresent what it is mm-hmm. and promise things that are, that cannot be achieved. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, you know, poorly. if you don't use a practitioner, that's fine. Just make sure, you know, if you're, if you're a, a general public, you know, prospect or even a client of somebody, just, you, it's incumbent upon the, the policy owner to understand what this is about and how to properly use these instruments because they're, they're like a loaded gun. Okay. If you're not trained how to use it, then you can, you can be very destructive with them. So. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We um, have Nicole commenting as well. Thank you for offering this powerful information. I'd really love to get my three sons who are in their 20s get started with their own policy policies. So um, just a lot of engagement today. Thank you, everyone who's listened to who's tuned in for even a, a brief period. If you're listening now, know that you can go back once we are finished with the live stream. You can go back and watch the whole episode. It will still be available completely for you on YouTube and Facebook and LinkedIn and wherever you are watching this right now. Um, Please comment, please 
share your questions either in the comments section or you can email them to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com. You can also um, reach out to us directly at hello or at themoneyadvantage.com. You can book a conversation with an advisor and really find out how you can continue on or begin your infinite banking journey and design a system of policies for you. So David, just thank you for your evangelism of this message, but just really in a, a practical and um, grassroots way. I just really appreciate the the fundamentals that are so strong through the practitioner program and through everything that we've ever seen produced through Nelson Nash. And um, we definitely are loving being able to continue on that legacy for ourselves and for our clients. Take care. Enjoy it. Awesome. Well, in closing, please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and a business that you love. We'll see you next time. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.